Don't you say a word against the Swiss family, Robinson, cried Innocent with great warmth. It mayn't be exact science, but it's dead accurate philosophy. When you're really shipwrecked, you do really find what you want. When you're really on a desert island, you never find it a desert. If we were really besieged in this garden, we'd find a hundred English birds and English berries that we never knew were there. If we were snowed up in this room, we'd be the better for reading scores of books in that bookcase that we don't know are there. We'd have talks with each other, good, terrible talks that we shall go to the grave without guessing. We'd find materials for everything, christening, marriage, or funeral. Yes, even for a coronation, if we didn't decide to be a republic. Welcome to Pints with Chesterton, a podcast where two millennial women dive into the wonderful and whimsical works of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I'm Grace. And I'm Marie. On today's episode, we are discussing the third chapter of G.K. Chesterton's comedic novel, Man Alive, which is called The Banner of Beacon. Grace, it's so good to see you. I know. Um, <laughs> we're, we're over Zoom, as we normally are, since Grace is living in Louisiana and I live in California, but <laughs> I feel that we missed it. I know we missed a bit of an opportunity in the last week because Grace and I were actually together for about five days in person. It was so lovely. It's so great. And we had grand plans to record lots of podcast episodes. Two to three at least. <laughs> at least. And we recorded exactly zero. So yeah, <laughs> that just tells you what uh, good of a time we were having, I guess. So yeah, we we're so lucky. David and I were so lucky to have Grace come stay with us. Um, Christmas was so strange for so many people this year. And so mm-hmm. when Grace and I had been talking at Christmas, I said, just come see us, get a change of scenery and come see beautiful California. And we can all spend time together in person. And, you know, as probably all of you are experiencing with your work, if you use Zoom at all, it's hard to grow closer in relationship with someone when you don't spend any time in person with them and so I told David I feel like Grace and I we just need to spend some time um, in person talking and you know just like learning the the daily habits of the other person like you get to you know see how they are Um, and Grace and I hadn't gotten to spend time in person in a couple years almost so yeah Um, It was, I felt like I was the lucky one. I got to visit sunny, beautiful California while Louisiana was going through a crazy, unusual cold snap for the end of February, um, or I guess middle of February, but still, we usually are not this cold in Louisiana. And so um, I was very excited to not be here for the hard freeze. (laughs) Yes. I know we kind of sent you back home to bad weather, but in the middle of it, it's all right. It's sunny now. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm glad Grace and I went bike riding one day while she was here and the sun just completely came out and it was pretty great. Um so, so good. It was a beautiful so trip. It was. And so we we've had a lot of things happen in our lives recently that have um 
prevented us from making the podcast the uh, priority or at least near the top of our priority list, which is why we haven't been posting episodes in a little while. So sorry about that. But I um, sort of unexpectedly had to move across town. My landlord sold my house. And I think I may have mentioned that before, but the, the process of moving was a lot and very stressful. And so <laughs> there just wasn't time um, on my end. So, yeah. And um, David and I, um, right before, just right around the uh, around Christmas, right before we invited Grace to come out here, we found out we were pregnant. Well, I'm pregnant. Yay! <laughs> expecting a baby in September. And um, Grace has just been so patient and wonderful. Um, the first trimester, folks, can be really rough. Um, no joke. <laughs> it's very it's exhausting and sick all the sickness and nausea and everything is it can be a lot so I told Grace like I'm just trying to focus on eating some food and sleeping and that was the priority for several weeks um, I'm starting to feel a bit better and Grace took on more of our load so we're back um, and we should be back every every week from here on out for a while we probably will take a break in September when baby comes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. But we've got a ways till then. So hopefully yeah, we'll yeah. to record up until that point. But anyways, um, well, what are you uh, sipping on this morning? Do you have anything? Um, yeah, I do. It's milk. Um, oh, good. And I'm so happy <laughs> that I can say that for a few episodes, I've been drinking non-alcoholic things um, since I've known that i was expecting and um now I can proudly say it um it, it's so random but pretty much milk and water are the only things that I can drink these days and um so yeah milk what are you drinking Grace <laughs> I have a lemon ginger tea it's still morning oh, here too, that so. sounds great anyway in my fala la la llama mug because I've dirtied <laughs> all the rest of my mugs I've been like it. camping out in my house because it's been so cold outside yeah so anyways um all right well, um, I guess we should probably just jump into this thing since we have a lot to discuss. We haven't been on here yeah. in a while. Um, so here is the summary of chapter three of Man Alive, which is called The Banner of Beacon. Beacon House is a whirlwind of activity as Innocent Smith seems to transform everyone's commonplace hobbies into hyperbolic versions of themselves. Diana Sewing becomes a lightning dressmaking company, which uses colored chalk to produce fantastical designs that can be brushed off and redesigned in a flash. Inglewood's photography becomes a philosophical art gallery of whimsical proportions, as the tenants pose with themselves in doubled up frames. And Michael's law studies become an elaborate plan to make the boarding house into the High Court of Beacon, with absolute power over windmills, wine and spirit licenses, ladies traveling in Turkey, revision of sentences for dogs stealing parasite, as well as anything whatever that happened in the town of Market Bosworth, all with Mrs. Duke as the ultimate judge. Aside from encouraging all these, Innocent throws himself merrily into the challenge of making Mary Gray, Rosamond's quiet companion, talk. He doesn't succeed, but nevertheless takes great delight in the game. All of this excited energy ends the chapter up with Rosamond and Michael in a would-be lover's tiff, and the whole group stunned to find that Innocent has proposed to Mary Gray, and perhaps even more shockingly, that Mary Gray has accepted. 
I'm struggling to not laugh as you're reading that out. <laughs> it's know. just such a fun chapter. It really is. And I think Chesterton's comedic ability is really coming through in a lot of the passages here. It just the sheer creativity of the things that he's coming up with, you know, in the story, it's like all of these different characters are kind of using their creative energies together. But when you consider that Chesterton is the one who is writing all of these characters, it's like all of his creativity coming out through them. And it's yes. just so funny. I like how innocent really he's it kind of in the background in this chapter but he's shining through everyone else who's mm -hmm. kind of starting to blossom and it seems like everybody's coming a little bit more awake to mm -hmm. um the reality of living a fulfilled life in this chapter mm -hmm. um it's really fun to see him showing interest in all of their different interests and i don't know one of the things that i noticed that i really enjoyed was that it's none of it's about money or oh, yeah. having expensive things or like none of these hobbies are being done with anything too um too complicated too expensive they're using what they already have like colored chalk for mm -hmm. diana's um dress designs and just having so much fun with mm -hmm. what it is that they have which again is like one of those childlike um childlike characteristics that we see in yeah. innocent absolutely i was just about to say that that like this whole all of these hobbies that they're doing like seem very childlike the things that i feel like i would have done you know back when i was in elementary school or middle school you know just stuck at home on a saturday like what am i gonna do and what do we have in this house that can make us have fun you know or whatever and so um just all these all these little things that they're real hobbies they're real crafts or they're real things that adults do you know but he's just kind of bringing this other dimension to their hobbies um and i think that that's the in the beginning we read the quote um where he's speaking with michael moon about the swiss family robinson and michael moon sort of makes fun of it and it's like oh they magically everything that they needed appeared on this desert island to make this whole home and innocent was like no actually like you know, that actually, there's some accurate philosophy to that, that like when you're stuck somewhere, you make use better of the things that are around you. Yes. You would, if you weren't stuck there. Um, yeah. and I feel like there were so many things that are times in my life when I've been stuck somewhere where that's absolutely been the case. Absolutely. Or just on a regular day, like how many times do we look into our refrigerator or into our closet and say, we have nothing to eat. We have nothing to wear. <laughs> exactly. But if we were actually stuck at home and we couldn't go to the grocery store, like actually, well, you know, like if you're stuck in that crazy weather in Louisiana mm -hmm. and you're not going out of your house, oh, all of a sudden you find a can of beans in the back of your pantry and a box of pasta and mm -hmm. a jar of pesto. And you're like, oh, I might be able to make something with all of this. Um, yeah. And then you end up making this delicious meal <laughs> that you could have made. Yeah. Time. It's, it's, I feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe we're just so used to plenty that, mm -hmm. you know, when things aren't um, there, when there's not a superfluous amount of uh, groceries in the fridge or clothes in the closet it looks strange to us but I love I love this idea of really looking at what you have and using it mm -hmm. um, when I was I was building our coffee table for David and I's house um, before 
we got married last which is lovely I can attest spring. oh yes Grace <laughs> got to set cups on it um and my cousin helped me with it and he's got six kids but um while we were we were cutting up all of the wood he's got all of the the electric saws and everything that we needed to use for the project we had some scrap wood left over that was just you know lying in pieces on the side and then we had the main pieces that we were using and the kids were all playing with these just flat boards of wood and having the best time (laughs) I mean they were like riding it around like it was a boat or something and it was more entertaining for them at the end I said do you want to keep the pieces of wood and they're like yeah <laughs> and they ran outside <laughs> ran outside with them and I just I feel like that's what we're seeing here is just like this appreciation of something unexpected like that brown paper wrapped around the pot right in the first chapter right. where we saw that or second chapter where we saw that the brown paper was the important thing not the pot <laughs> exactly anywho I- I thought of two situations just in the last um, year and a half or so, or maybe two years um, that happened in my own house full of roommates. So I I feel like I can, in some sense, relate to this boarding house because of living with so many unrelated people in one house. But um, I guess two falls ago, um, we had a hurricane, a small hurricane that came through Baton Rouge. And so we were trapped in our house. It was dangerous outside, but we had a bunch of friends um, that were sort of close by or in the house. And we just on a whim decided to make a fort in our living room. <laughs> All of us like 30 year old people <laughs> were like, we're like, let's make a fort. Like we, when we were kids. And so we gathered up anything we could find in the house, sheets, comforters, blankets, um, tall lamp stands that we could hang things from just anything and like gather them all in the living room. And we made a tent that covered our couches and everything. And then we had a bunch of people over and we popped popcorn and we like told ghost stories and played camp games and stuff in our tent. It's so (laughs) fun. It was so fun. And then, uh, recently, um, just when the shutdown happened in March, um, we all of a sudden were, you know, unsure of, about, being able to go to the grocery store or anything like that. And so, um, we realized though, that it was March 19th, which is the feast of St. Joseph. Um, and I don't know if, if you all experienced this, um, out in California, but there's an Italian tradition that is big in new Orleans to create a St. Joseph altar, um, where, no, I don't. I, I mean, it might be a tradition here, um, in some places, but my, I've never done that. Okay. So it, it happens at various churches and they'll just basically have like a big table, like in their parish hall Mm -hmm. or something. And they'll decorate it with all sorts of things like wine and people like bread that people make and lemons and beans and, um, like all kinds of pictures of saints and St. Joseph and like all these different things. And it's just sort of like this big community experience. And so we were like, well, Hey, we should make a St. Joseph altar. Um, and on a normal day, I know we would have run out to the store and bought a bunch of stuff, but there were, you know, five of us in the house with all of our candles and religious items and wine and, you know, whatever else we could find in the kitchen. So we had like, I don't think we had beans, but we had jelly beans. So we like put jelly beans on the altar (laughs) and we had, um, some of my friends like created these little, uh, like, St. Joseph tools out of like sandwich bread, just like cut them 
And um, yeah, anyways, it was so fun. I'll maybe we can post the pictures later because it was really cool. And my friend had this beautiful painting that was painted by another friend of ours of St. Joseph that we put up in the middle. Um, and then it was the year of St. Joseph, which is exciting. So yeah, yeah, this year. Anyways. So fantastic. Yeah, you really you when you are left with fewer options, you really have to get creative. Um, if you want to enjoy yourself, you have to really look around at your surroundings. That Absolutely. is so cool. All right. Well, um, so there's a quote in the very beginning of this chapter um, that I thought was really interesting. Innocent Smith. Um, actually, I don't think he's talking. I think it's just the uh, narrator. Just Chesterton says, um, when men are weary, they fall into anarchy, but while they are gay and vigorous, they invariably make rules. Um, so he's talking about how we oftentimes think of rules and institutions as these sort of cold, dead, lifeless things that people do when they're sad and angry about life or the world. But he's saying, actually, it's the opposite. When people are very um, alive is when they start to make um, institutions or rules or clubs or groups or they, they start to organize themselves. Yeah. And I thought that that was really interesting. What did you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think it goes along really well with the idea that like people think that freedom is true freedom is being able to just do whatever you want. And, um, and that anarchy in a way would be freedom. You know, if, if there's no rules, there's no, um, governing law, but people are the happiest when they have like morals and boundaries that, um, allow them to thrive right mm. I think this come like it comes down to like what every human person is called to in their life which is love of God right and so when we embrace love of God and we live our lives in such a way that honors him rather than closing him out of our life um, we start thriving and becoming creative and becoming beautiful in a way that we couldn't before. And I, I think we see this in, in Beacon House in this chapter that mm -hmm. they're seeing the possibilities um, of all of this goodness. Like if we compare um, Michael Moon and his previous activities that we heard about, like going to the bars and drinking whiskey and um, I don't know, consorting with women and mm. all of these different things that we were told that he was doing before. And now he's trying to come up with, uh, you know, a, a court for this house and he's spending time with good friends and it's, it's just very wholesome. Right. And it's funny because he, I think it even said um, in the previous chapter when he was describing his experiences in the pubs or whatever, um, that he would not talk a lot. He liked to be with like a chatty barmaid because she would do all the talking. Um, and it said specifically in this chapter that he like wouldn't shut up. He was just yeah. talking and talking and talking. And I thought that was so funny, but you could see almost like his creativity just like exuding from his person. Like, I don't know, because yes. he felt more alive than he did when he was in the pub. You know, he was so bored before and now he right. feels like there's something exciting to live for. Mm -hmm. And he's actually in a weird way using before it said he was studying law, but he didn't really know why or what didn't know if he was ever really going to finish. Um, but he clearly is an intelligent person to be able to come up with even just like kind of a funny joke of um, an institution, you know, yeah. but his creativity is um, 
just funny and exciting. The next part, basically Innocent takes Michael Moon seriously, um, which Michael is not expecting. Um, And he says, no, wait, we should create our own sovereign state. Like we should make this house our own sovereign state. Um, and we should, we could, you know, grow food in the backyard and we could do all these things. We could dig a well so we don't have to use the city water system and all of these things. And, and Michael is sort of like, uh, I was kidding. Um, but innocence, like why, like, you know, people are talking about what's the quote about, um, home rule for homes. Yes. You see that? You believe in home rule for Ireland. I believe in home rule for homes. <laughs> exactly. It would be better if every father could kill his son. As with the old Romans, it would be better because nobody would be killed. <laughs> um, yeah, he goes off on, on this rant about how wonderful it would be. Let's light a bonfire of independence on the roof and see house after house answering it across the valley of the Thames. I love this because... We just watched Grace and I just watched um, the last Lord of the Rings movie on um, Sunday and it's like such a dramatic and awesome heartwarming moment of the film when they light the bonfire on top of the tower and then Mm. Rohan answers and it was a nerdy evening but (laughs) (laughs) anyway it makes me think it it makes me think of that it's just like connecting people in a way that like the gov the big government the big government excuse me um can't Mm. like reaching people as people I I love that idea of calling out to the neighbors with these this bonfire on the roof and seeing who answers (laughs) so fun I I think it's interesting I feel like Chesterton's commentary um like his political commentary in a way sort of comes through and he's, he's being kind of silly and whimsical, but um, we know about Chesterton's distributism, which I am not an expert on. I haven't read a ton yet um, all about what he says, but I have a sort of basic idea of him being very for, um, you know, local first kind of idea where you have this small, but you know, enough space for your family. What was the, I think his political party's tagline Land was like cow. three acres and a cow. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> three acres and a cow. And um, it's like you have enough space, you have this home, but it's not like this gargantuan like mansion yeah. with these rolling hills and whatever, because you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's his whole thing is like, we think bigger is better all the time. Um, but for him, he's like, actually, if you have a bunch of people that are all kind of around each other, supporting each other in different ways, um, and everybody's sort of, localized, um, then you end up finding sort of like the Swiss family Robinson principle. You end up finding all the things that you need, um, without having to go too far away. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I completely agree with Chesterton on distributism. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I find problems with it. I I find it to be a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that that everyone, Well, that everyone would be cared for and fed and be able to mm-hmm. work for them. Well, you know, they would be able to work, earn a living, feed their family. I love all of those principles, but it does not translate to the modern world today. That's true. Like yeah. in San Diego, we could not give everyone three acres and a cow because <laughs> First of all, it's not how the infrastructure is designed. <laughs> it's not how the infrastructure is designed. Yeah. And second of all, people don't all want a cow. 
Like that's not the kind of work that everybody wants to do. And so I don't know. It's, it's maybe, um, and, and like you said, I've only, I've listened to a couple lectures on it and I still don't think I understand it completely, but Mm -hmm. I don't find it to be the perfect solution. I find that the principles that he's trying to achieve by it admirable. And I think that as Christian people, it's something that we should strive for to care for one another. But, um, I think we already knew that before. Yeah. Uh, I think with with the Swiss family Robinson, Michael Moon sees the family and their story as magical mm-hmm. and not realistic. Like as if, oh, you, because he says, you know, you wish for some vegetable milk and a coconut falls from a tree. And, you know, as if it's like, it's just, it's too much to be true. And Innocent is saying, you know, he's coming back to the idea that we already discussed. Like there is more around us than what we're noticing. Um, it's, it's not magic. It's just our eyes being opened up to, to what we actually have and mm. how we can actually use it. Maybe if we had a cow on that desert Island, we wouldn't feel the need to look for coconuts for milk, mm. you know, and we yeah. might never notice that they're there, or that they're edible. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I think it's a, it's interesting how at various moments in this chapter, Innocent sort of like stokes the fire and like stirs people up towards, um, towards what, what are, what are we going towards? It's like, uh, I don't know, living yeah. fully. That's yeah. what it feels like to me. Just being fully aware of reality like what is around us what's actually been given to us um chesterton talks about in other places this um this idea that when we grow up when we become adults um we don't become less fantastical but we come become more fantastical or or it's almost like we create this little fantasy world and we keep running around in circles in this little space. Whereas a child has this wonder that is open to so many possibilities and so many Mm. things and this creativity where they can really see the things that are around them. You know, um, they're amazed by, a you know, block of wood, like you were saying earlier, they, they're able to kind of really perceive like what's in front of them and all the possibilities that it could bring. Um, Whereas we just say like, oh, it's a piece of wood and ignore it in the corner um, as adults. And we think that we are freer by doing that. But really a child is freer because they're able to see more. I don't know yeah, if that's making any sense. But yeah. Oh, I liked the bit about um, all is gold that glitters, especially now that we're a sovereign state. Yes. <laughs> What's the good of a sovereign state if you can't define a sovereign? <laughs> I loved that. Um, he was talking about finding gold, um, and not choosing it because it's rare. Cause we talk about like, oh, it's rare. So that's why it's expensive. And he's like, that is total, like whatever, like that's not true. Nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. Because he's like, there's a bunch of slime that's much rarer, but we didn't make that the currency. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. no, it's, it glitters. Like, that's why people like it. It's pretty yeah. to look at, you know? Um, and he talks about like, how we determine what is precious to us yeah this new sovereign state they can determine whether or not that's gold Mm. but to him it's just anything that glitters Mm -hmm. which is part of why everybody's having such a fantastic time because it's like 
okay, if we can use green and purple chalk on a dress form and create this, you know, basically a, a dress for a queen, a gown for a queen, and, you know, Inglewood can be stunned by it, then yeah. we don't really need all of those, like, you don't need all of the fancy fabrics and gold um, thread and everything. Um, mm-hmm. It achieves that beautiful purpose in the eyes of the beholders, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I loved the, um, if you're following along the book from the Chesterton Society, it's page 47 at the bottom, um, we get more of Chesterton's just like beautiful imagery. He's very good at describing nature and describing especially light um, and what's happening at different points of the day. And I just, I really liked the passage, especially because he was just talking about um all is gold that glitters. And this is sort of a natural description of what's around them or what they're experiencing at the house. But I just wanted to read the passage. It says, the French windows thus flung open, let in an evening even lovelier than that of the day before. The West was swimming with sanguine colors and a sort of sleepy flame lay across the lawn. The twisted shadows of one or two garden trees showed upon this sheen, not gray or black as in common daylight, but like arabesques written in vivid violet ink on some page of Eastern gold. The sunset was one of those festive and yet mysterious conflagrations in which common things by their colors remind us of costly or curious things. The slates upon the sloping roof burned like the plumes of a vast peacock in every mysterious blend of blue and green. The red-brown bricks of the wall glowed with all the October tints of strong ruby and tawny wines. The sun seemed to set each object alight with a different colored flame, like a man lighting fireworks. And even Innocent's hair, which was of a rather colorless fairness, seemed to have a flame of pagan gold on it as he strode across the lawn towards the one tall ridge of rockery. But I just thought that was so beautiful. It really is. And it it feels like we're um transplanted to some beautiful I don't know exotic eastern country and we're not in Mm -hmm. England anymore right um so just after that you have this conversation between Rosamond and Michael Moon starting up and the first thing that they are sort of talking about, they're sort of kind of both in this weird mood. And Michael um, starts basically telling her that they're in an insane asylum um, and they're all crazy. And Innocent Smith is the only one that's not crazy. And he's the doctor that comes to visit them. And she is super offended by this. <laughs> yes. What did you think about that? Oh, gosh. I, I think it's funny because this is kind of what leads um, to people coming to the house who actually think that there's an insane person in the house later uh-huh. on. Um, but I think that Michael Moon is grasping for something here. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to put to words why he can't fully understand what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's starting to wake up as you and I kind of discussed when we were spending time together last weekend Mm -hmm. but he doesn't fully understand Innocent Smith's purpose yet Mm. he's starting to see that there's a reason for all of this and I think maybe in saying we're all insane and he's the sane one he's Mm -hmm. saying 
I can see that he's completely woken up. I can see that he is living in reality and we are not. I mean, a house where people lived together for what was it, five years? Yeah. Or yeah, some amount, been... some long amount of time and avoiding spending time together, even though they enjoy spending time together mm. and enjoy each other's company. So I think a lot is happening in this conversation. I think Michael Moon is kind of trying to come to terms with what mm. Innocent is doing, trying to understand him and recognizing that there's something a bit beyond his grasp at this point. Mm. Very true. I think you, you can kind of see like him wrestling in almost like um, like a we talk about people being like internal or external processors. Um, and I feel like he's being an external processor. He's like kind of talking or thinking out loud um, to Rosamond about what he's trying to determine is happening um and then I think because of the sort of uneasiness of him trying to figure all this out um is where he starts saying things to her that she's angry about she's taking sort of the wrong way um but then he's saying things that are true about her that actually are I don't know in a way hurtful um but it says that he said something to her um, with an intellectual cruelty of which the Celt is capable when his abysses are in revolt. Um, and I feel like that description, his abysses being in revolt, <laughs> is sort of yes. like what he's he's going through, like something very big and existential or something right now. And yeah. he's like trying to deal with it, but also right in front of this woman who he clearly has some sort of feeling for. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, he says, you went mad about money because you're an heiress. Uh -huh. And she's shocked by his candidness. Uh -huh. And then a few paragraphs later, she goes after him about uh -huh. his habits and the ways that he is. Um, and it's it's an interesting view. As you said, there are definitely feelings here between these two. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's a wasted conversation because... Mm -hmm. Sometimes bringing to light um, some of these things can actually banish them. Mm, um, that's it's so true. Sometimes telling somebody something honest about who they are can help to open up space for a new future, for a new reality. And so mm -hmm. they're being very honest with each other, um, but also a bit for cruel. the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's their. I think their cruelty maybe coming out of that place of um insecurity you know that they're feeling like I have feelings for this person I don't know how to move forward in this yeah. relationship um we're having this strange thing happening to us right now I'm talking about things um I'm speaking about you but now I feel uneasy so I'm going to be cruel so I feel like I have the upper hand you know I feel like we can easily yeah. do that um and it seems like some of the things are coming to light that are holding them back from being in a relationship. Mm. For example, he's he tells her, you're worried that somebody's just going to want you for your money, so mm -hmm. you won't settle down with anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and and she doesn't admit that, but she goes white, uh, which yeah. is sort of an admittance in itself. And then he, with all of his like if she says your nasty loungy ways and your snarling and your radicalism and your old clothes and she lists all of the things about him 
And, you know, the the truth is when you go from being a, a single person who's doing whatever you want and uh-huh. thinking in whatever you want to then coming into a relationship and considering the other person and their their wants and your mutual goals together and all of that, things change. And they're both kind of saying to each other, you're going to have to give up some of these things if we're going to come together or see eye to eye um, yeah. or, or come to a place of more peace. Absolutely. What did yeah. you think? What did you think about um, Arthur Inglewood and um, Diana Duke's conversation then that happens next? Oh, I, I loved that part because I think this is the first time that Arthur is beginning to sort of wake up like Michael is. Um, because when they're on the roof in the earlier chapter, Inglewood is completely lost. He doesn't understand at all what Michael is starting to understand about innocent Smith. Um, and now though, after this day of, of kind of craziness and fun and whatever, he is starting to realize some things he's starting to, as he says, wake up. Um, and then he starts to talk to Diana about it. Um, who we've seen in previous chapters and in this chapter that he is sort of taken by her and um, has feelings for her. And Mm -hmm. so he starts to try to start a conversation in his like kind of awkward Mm way. Um, She doesn't really get what's happening. Um, So now he's the one it's sort of like uh, the roles are reversed now where Arthur is the one who is trying to talk to somebody about waking up and the other person isn't quite getting it she she is trying though which is interesting um yeah it I think sorry go ahead I was gonna say she it says she was looking at him quietly but with very bright eyes and seemed to be searching for some form of words which she could not find so like it's like she was there but not all the way there um I like his line just before that he goes we're always preparing for something Something that never comes off. I ventilate the house and you sweep the house. But what is going to happen in the house? Mm. And I feel like this kind of puts the, I mean, this is everything. What is the purpose of having this clean, well-kept house if there's no love in it and there's no family in it and there's no future in it? Mm-hmm. Right now, it's just like every man is an island and everybody's just surviving side by side in this house, mm-hmm. all single people. And it's it's really not na- like Chesterton is calling attention to the fact that it's not natural that a bunch of young like they're all in their 20s, a bunch of 20 yeah. somethings <laughs> who are all good looking and healthy and have clearly like each other (laughs) and like each other are not making any moves towards serious relationships and that like marriage is a great good and an end goal and you know and so Inglewood kind of realizes like what is the point of like all of my hobbies and all of your hobbies and like all of the things that we decide to fill our days with yeah if we never involve anyone else in it or we never take a greater commitment and um I'm reminded of um, The Little Prince um, a little bit just because in in that book, um, Antoine sort of he's presenting the idea that the greater a commitment you have to something, the more love you can have for it, Mm. Um, which is something that I see in in marriage, especially in Christian marriage. Um, 
that I'm going to have more love for my husband because of the lifelong Mm -hmm. sacramental commitment I've made to him Yeah, more than I will have love for somebody I walk by on the street. Um, And I I think Inglewood is starting to see this reality that it's it's not enough for them all to just uh, be these automatons existing side by side. Like they have to turn and face each other finally. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's something in that too, with what you were saying about the commitment of marriage is like, um, you can kind of bring it back to this was family Robinson principle too, where when you have this commitment, it's like in a certain way you're stuck, but in another way, the stuckness is what actually opens up so many more possibilities than you may have ever known existed there. So there's a a boundary, but the boundary actually allows you to be more free, not less free. Um, You're able to discover in another person what you never knew was there. Um, You're able to draw that out of each other and kind of see, see things. And you're sort of forced to focus on this other person um, in such a way that you might not have to, if you were just looking at someone passing by on the street. and so, yeah, it's really, really interesting. I think I was listening to recently, maybe even uh, Pints with Jack. Was it Pints with Jack? I don't know. I was listening um, to something and they were talking about a, a psychologist who would like make people, um, like couples, like stare at each other in silence for like 10 minutes mm-hmm. or something. And it was like amazing how just like, the silence and the look like the forcing them to actually look at each other. So like you were saying, turn towards each other instead of away. Um, But in a very literal sense um, opened up this space for them to begin considering the other in a new way. You know, I Um, think it, is it Lewis who says I, I could be, my husband will help me with this after the fact, but (laughs) I think it's Lewis who says in order to say yes to one one woman, he says, because he's a man, mm-hmm. so he's talking about women. But he, in order to say yes to one woman, you must say no to the rest of the women in the world. And like right. to some people, that seems like a tragedy. Uh-huh. But as you said, it's like we can't trust me. <laughs> you cannot have that close relationship with every person in the world or even with everyone in your area. Right. Um, and like, I, I don't know. I also think of Christ with his disciples. He didn't have, he had hundreds of people who flocked to him, obviously, but, you know, in various places in scripture, but his, his crew, like his small group was 12 and he cultivated the closest relationships with those 12 Mm-hmm. And his mother. And even and even the three, the three within the twelve. Right. Um, Peter, James, and John are like closer, you know, closer even than the other twelve are to him. Um so and yeah, it's, it's like it's not a tragedy. Capacity. Yeah, and, and it's beautiful. And there's more that comes that comes out of that. We weren't created, I think, as human beings to be the same friends with everybody, right? I mean, it's just impossible. Yeah. I, I read um one time I was listening to a podcast about there's this number, I can't remember what it's called. It's got a name, but I think it's like, we can't 
connect or hold within our emotional like relationship capacity or whatever like in our brain or in our minds um more than 150 people at once um and so what was interesting is we were uh or I, I was applying it to social media um i realized that all of the people that i was following on social media um a lot of them are people that really aren't all that dear to me um that aren't the closest people in my life but they were taking up emotional space in my brain for me to be able to relate to the people that actually were in my life the people that actually were um right in front of me that i actually did desire to cultivate deeper relationships with um and it was yeah and it was also preventing me from being able to make new friends because i didn't have any space for them emotionally. And so it was really, really interesting when I heard that it was sort of like a light bulb went off and I went through, you know, Facebook and Instagram and whatever, and unfollowed like a ton of people. And it's not because I didn't like them, but it was because I just realized like, we don't actually have much of a relationship. I'm just seeing all your photos and I'm seeing all of your family and I'm seeing all these things that you're doing every day. I need that space for for other people. Exactly. And so when I, it was amazing. As soon as I did that, and like a few more weeks kind of went by, I realized that I was sort of opening myself up more to meet new people in my area, um, to meet or to deepen relationships that were already there. Um, and so I think there's, there's such truth to that, that like without any sort of commitment towards anybody, um, you actually get nobody. Um, because the relationships again, that I was having with these people online were non-existent. It was literally just me seeing their life all the time. You're so right, Grace. That's a really good observation. In, in thinking that we can have some sort of connection to so many, we lose out on that very, very close connection with a few. Mm. That's so, I feel like people need to hear that (laughs) in this, in this day and age of like, being on the internet all the time. Um, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, there's one more thing I need to talk about. Um, and that is what happens at the, I know at the end of this chapter, um, and just the character in general of Mary Gray. So at the end of the chapter, um, we find out that innocent Smith has proposed to Mary Gray and that she has accepted the proposal, even though she has hardly said a word the whole time he's been in the house to anyone. Um, Rosamond is the only one that really knows who she is at all. Like she's had her as a friend, you know, or a companion or whatever, that's recently come back into her life. And, um, it, but she doesn't say much and it's describes her as very drab. Her name is gray, <laughs> right? Gray. So yeah. Chesterton's like, she's very ordinary, but yet for some reason, innocent Smith has taken this liking to her yeah. and he's, he's trying the whole to chapter trying to get her to talk. <laughs> yeah. And eventually at the end of the chapter, boom, he just proposes and she accepts and everybody's like, what's happening yeah <laughs> and so well, it's almost like this this culmination of all of the kind of r- romantic or emotional energy that's like going on in the house and yet nobody does anything except for innocent smith i can't wait to talk about this more in the next chapter because mm-hmm. i feel like that is going to open our eyes quite a bit more to the multi-purpose um i don't know like proposing to Mary Gray achieved so many things in this house Mm -hmm. and really like spurred things forward much more quickly and Mm -hmm. um, in a real way. But Mm -hmm. um, I love this because I think that Mary is so (laughs) 
mysterious in a way mm-hmm. and in uh, in one of the descriptions of her it says that she doesn't say much but she always looks like she has something to say mm-hmm. and um she's kind of the opposite of of um I almost said Chesterton because I'm thinking of Francis and Chesterton I know <laughs> the opposite of innocent because he's always moving and talking and mm-hmm. you know he's this boisterous um sort of more loud character and then mm-hmm. Mary is is the opposite of that but she still seems to be very much a part of the fun mm-hmm. and um I think we would be mistaken to not draw a connection to Chesterton and his wife because I agree. this was how they were described in, by most other people was that um Frances sounds like Mary Gray mm-hmm. very yeah, much she, so. She seems very ordinary. She seems very down to earth. She seems very um, calm and cool and collected um, while uh, innocent slash Gilbert are these sort of boisterous, loud, ridiculous figures, you know. Yeah. Um, but yet um, there's something in Mary, it seems, as this. Uh, there's something in uh, Francis Chesterton mm-hmm. that both of the characters, Innocent and then Gilbert, um, yeah. are seeing that it is in some way matched. Um, they're not so different than they seem on the outside. There's something that there's like this connection. There's something that is real. There's um, an understanding there. There's an outlook. There's a worldview. There's a something that there's a connection, but the outside doesn't necessarily look the same. Um, so there's a complementarity that exists there. And I think that there's no way after reading that book, the woman who was Chesterton, there's no way that he was not thinking about her and writing this yeah. uh, character or these two characters um, and their relationship. It even describes her as in the book, Mary Gray as older than the rest of the, yeah, um, a little the bit characters. Older. And Francis, I think was five years older than than Gilbert. Mm -hmm. Um, And they met in a house where there was a bunch of young people talking and debating about things. Um, And so I think there's a lot of parallels here that can be drawn with their life, which is really cool. And I like how innocence, uh, innocent makes for, I just called them innocence, maybe (laughs) Freudian slip of the tongue. Um, I think innocent is a really important example here for the other characters because They've been so um, shocked in a good way by him. They've been so impressed with how fully he lives life and how exciting and creative he is. And he, innocent, innocent is telling them with this action, with this proposal that he doesn't find his life to be the fullest it could be. And he doesn't find himself to be um, uh, perfect by himself. He knows that there's something better, which is to marry this wonderful woman. Like he he's he's not just content to be by himself. He knows that there's a greater adventure beyond. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of showing the other characters like, yeah, I'm exciting. I'm creative. I've I've stirred up your entire world. But um, like that's not the last that's not the last adventure that's happening in my life. You know, there's more to come. There's more to uncover. Right. I love that. Um, all right. Well, uh, maybe some some practical lessons or some practical takeaways from this chapter. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about was um, to make space or cultivate 
hobbies, um, but also to make space for people within those hobbies um, or even just surrounding them. So just taking all of the kind of superfluous extra things out of our life, sort of like I was talking about with social media, um, so that we can make space for the things and the people that really are going to bring us to life, the the people that we also are meant to bring to life um, by our presence. And so I think just as a practical thing, um, if you've always wanted to learn, I'm speaking to myself here, if you've always wanted to learn how to play the violin, sign up for a lessons. <laughs> you know, if you've always wanted to spend more time with this person that you think is really cool, give them a call, you know, yes, um, stuff like that. I agree. I agree. I think a lot of the time I, and, and a lot of our work is tied up in being online, but I get really sucked into, um, and I don't even have social media really. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got our, our shared account for this, but, um, it, there are plenty of ways, cooking shows and mm -hmm. different things online that suck me in and take away my time from doing beautiful things that I really would like to do, like become a better painter mm. or books, spend time teaching, you know, my little cousins how to crochet, um, mm. you know, so definitely I agree with Grace on this. Make time and space in your life for quality people and quality activities that are going mm -hmm. to fill you up and make you a better person. So true. Can you think of anything else? Um, no, I, I think we can do gratitude journals for the week. Okay. Uh, you can start if you'd like. Okay. Um, I am so grateful for time in person with grace last weekend. Um, and through part of this week, it was really um, eye-opening for me because it showed me how much I'm capable of when I'm, I don't know, just while she was here, I was trying to kind of put aside how I have been feeling so that we could do some fun things while Grace was in town. And um, I realized that that was possible. And before I thought, well, I just, I can't get out of bed or I can't stop feeling sick or I can't you know, eat food, <laughs> all these things that have been going on. And we lived life very fully for we the did. five days while she was here. We had several meals that consisted primarily of ice cream. Yes. Um, <laughs> we had, um, yeah, <laughs> I was trying to bring Mardi Gras obnoxiously to Marie and David. Um, anyways, uh, but yeah, so I brought some king cakes on the airplane with me, which was fun. And I, yeah, we, we ate a lot of really good food. Well, I ate a lot of really good food. You attempted to eat a lot of really good food. <laughs> I ate more food while Grace was here than I have in like a month and a half. So it was which is good. Yeah. yeah it was and awesome. then um, we we did fun, active things. We rode bikes around Coronado. Um, walked on walks on the beach. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, that was just so... I'm so glad that it helped you in some way because it definitely was needed for me. Um, I'm, I'm a traveler. I like to go places and, um, I'm a teacher. And one of the things that I love about that is being able to have longer breaks so that I can go places. Um, of course I also have the, you know, teacher salary, so I have to make it happen on a shoestring and couch surf and all of that. So when I have lovely people like Marie and David who are like, come stay on our couch, I'm like, yes, please. So, yes. um, yeah, but I think 
uh, this year with the pandemic and everything, there's just been not as much opportunity to travel. Um, it's been more difficult. And so over the summer, I'm usually everywhere um, in the summer and I was very much not everywhere in the summer. And I felt that um, I had kind of gotten used to that lifestyle of kind of moving and, and going new places and seeing new people and, and all yeah. of that. And I wasn't able to do that. And I've been feeling very um, just like almost like weighed down, you know? Yeah. And so it was really awesome for me to be able to go. And I've, I've ever since I went to San Diego two years ago, I was like, I need to go back. Um, and so it was really, really great to be able to go and sit on the beach and watch the sunset and just like, I felt extremely refreshed by that time. So super grateful for yeah. that as well. It opened my eyes to how beautiful San Diego is because mm. when you live here, you go about your daily routines and sometimes you forget all of these awesome places that are just 10 or 15 minutes away from your house or some even five minutes away from your house. And mm -hmm. When Grace was here, I was just trying to think of all of the great places that I would want to see if I was visiting San Diego for just a few days. And I just I'm so grateful to live here. It, the natural beauty that is around us is amazing and definitely a gift from God. So great trip. Okay. It, yeah, absolutely. It goes along with that whole principle we were talking about in this chapter, you know, where you just don't even notice what's right in front of you until somebody else kind of makes you take a second look, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So next week we will be talking about chapter four, the garden of the God. And we will Which be such an exciting chapter. I'm excited. Oh, yes. <laughs> about it. We'll be unraveling the mystery of this proposal and insanity in the next, the next, um, episode so we're really looking forward to that and um, as usual you can find us on instagram at pints with chesterton our website is pintswithchesterton.com and our email is pintswithchesterton at gmail.com actually really quickly before we move to just our final sign off um i'm really sorry to the people who have emailed who i have not responded to oh, um same. Same. we've gotten some very <laughs> kind thoughtful messages from people and i just want to say thank you so much for the encouragement and your questions and i will be responding to them as soon as possible but um yeah as grace said at the beginning of this episode we've been having to make other things a priority lately so we're focused back in on the podcast and we'll be getting back to all of you soon. Great. All right. Well, may you all enjoy lives of wit and whimsy. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>